0: This has been a very exciting week for our family, uh, and by our family, I am including our church family. Over the last year and a half, we have experienced challenges and frustrations, but many, many joys. Your labors, your prayers, your gifts, along with your encouragement and support for the Wilbanks family and for the ships, has been used by God. Uh, to bring us to this day on friday the court declared that this little boy nathan randall ship was now now had a new name and was now a part of the ship family the judge asked andrew and rachel this important question he asked if they were prepared to treat him as though he had been born to them And to do so forever. Today we come to celebrate another official kind of adoption, which is marked by baptism. This is an adoption by the Heavenly Father, an adoption into the household of God known as the Church. Westminster Confession, or Westminster Larger Catechism, question 65 on baptism says, What is baptism? Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost to be a sign and seal of engrafting into himself the remission of sins by his blood and regeneration by his spirit of adoption and resurrection unto everlasting life and whereby the parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. In this case, Nathan's adoption by the ships on Friday and Nathan's adoption today by the church are tied together. He is a full member of a Christian family. He received a new name, a new title, new obligations, and new benefits by becoming a member of the ship family. And by this baptism, he likewise receives a new name, a new title, and new obligations and benefits by becoming a part of Christ's church. Together, the ships and the church are assuming their own obligations and responsibilities toward Nathan. After the Apostle Paul pointed out in Romans 1 uh, Romans 1 and 2 that both the Jews and the Gentiles were guilty due to their sins, he asked a rhetorical question in chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Or what profit is circumcision? We can likewise ask, what advantage, then, does a child have to be born or adopted into a Christian family? Or what profit is baptism? And the answer is the same in both cases. Paul answers, much in every way. First, they have been given the oracles of God, the Word of God. So what is it worth? What is the value of being born or adopted into a Christian family? Having researched my own family history, I have seen some of the forks in my family tree, and I assure you there are some branches that I don't want to be on. But as I look today, and in this room I see four generations of Christians, of grandparents, Bob and Lucille Booth, grandparents, Mike and Kathy Shipp, along with me and Mary Nell, and Aaron, and Amy, and Kristen, and Stephen, and Andrew, and Rachel, and 16 more children. I have every reason to expect many more generations to come. Just a note, and I'll say a bit more about this in the sermon, Nathan is wearing an outfit that Mary made for him, and on it is a piece of lace that came from his great-great-great-grandmother. And the significance of that is that she made the difficult choice to give up her infant daughter for adoption in 1899. And that choice, in part, makes this day possible. So what is it worth to be raised in the church in the hospital for sinners where the remedy of the gospel, that is the oracles of God, are administered? Like Timothy, who had a mother and a grandmother, who taught him the Bible. And so Paul reminds Timothy that from the time you were a nursing baby, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. And we also know that. As Paul writes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And in Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And so is it possible to be born into a Christian family, baptized, and yet fail to receive the remedy of the gospel? Negligent parents and churches exist, but by the baptism of this child... These parents and this church are vowing to be not to be negligent in administering the gospel, but rather promising to teach, to pray for, and to live before this child in such a way that he will receive all of God's covenant promises and blessings. Presbyterian minister John Flavel from the 17th century wrote this, and how great a mercy was it that we had parents who carefully instilled the knowledge of God into our souls in our tender years. How diligent was Abraham in this duty, and David. Some of us have had parents who have said, as the apostle, My little children, of whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. As they longed for us before they had us, and rejoiced in us when they had us, so they could not endure to think that when they could no longer have us, the devil should. As they thought no pains, care or cost too much for our bodies to feed them, clothe them and to heal them. So they did, they did not think prayers, uh, so they did think no prayers, counsel or tears, too much for our souls that they might be saved. They knew a parting time would come between them and us and did strive to make it as easy and comfortable to them as they could by leaving us in Christ and within the blessed bond of his covenant. They felt the miseries of our souls as much as our bodies and nothing was more desirable to them than that they might say in the great day, Lord, here am I and the children which thou hast given me. And was it not a special favor to us to have parents that went before us in a pattern of holiness and beat the path of heaven for us by their examples? It is no common mercy to have a fair copy set before us, especially in the Molding Age. We saw what they did as well as heard, as, heard what they said. It was Abraham's commendation that he commanded his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord, such mercies of providence some of us have had also. And so, before we proceed to this most solemn and happy event, allow me to thank all the faithful who have gone before Nathan. To Bob and Lucille Booth, to Mike and Kathy Ship, to Mary Nell, and to many, many other Christians in our lives who blazed the trail and brought us with them. And ask the ship family to please come forward. You know the drill. Andrew and Rachel, as Christian parents, you have been taught that baptism is a sacrament of God to seal the covenant unto us and our children, and it must be used for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. Therefore, I call on you as you take this sacramental oath to sincerely answer these questions. Do you acknowledge that your child, though conceived and born in sin, and subject to its consequences, is sanctified in Christ and therefore ought to be baptized? Yes. Do you, by this sacrament, understand that you are obligating yourselves by oath before God and His people to be faithful to this covenant? Yes. Do you acknowledge and assume the responsibility of this covenant to command your household to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to you the promises And the blessings of of this covenant. Do you understand that should you abandon these responsibilities and forsake this oath, that this baptism, rather than being a blessing, may become a curse instead? And finally, do you continue to promise in humble reliance on God's grace that you will endeavor to set before this child a godly example, that you will pray with and for him, that you will teach him the doctrines of our faith, and that you will strive by all the means that God has provided to bring him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, we do. To the congregation, do you by this baptism receive Nathan Randall's ship into the covenant community of God's people and joyfully enter into covenant with the ship household to assist them in every lawful way by your prayers, examples, and exhortations to faithfully lead this child in the everlasting way. The promises of God are real and true to all the children of His people. This is expressed most beautifully in the words of this service, which I now address to Nathan. Little child for you, Jesus Christ has come. He has fought. He has suffered. He entered into the shadows of Gethsemane and the terror of Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, it is finished. For you, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and for you, he there intercedes. For you, even though you don't know it yet, but in this way, Nathan, the word of the gospel is made true. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we give you eternal praise and thanks that you have granted and bestowed upon this child your fellowship, that you have adopted him to yourself through your holy baptism, and he has been incorporated into your beloved Son, our only Savior, and is now your child and heir. Grant, most loving and faithful Father, that we, in the whole course of our lives, might prove our thankfulness for your great grace, faithfully bringing up Nathan through all the situations of life, and that we, with this child as well, might more and more die unto the world and join to the life of your Son, our Lord Jesus, daily grow in grace, that we might ever praise you and be a blessing to our neighbor, through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Ephesians 1, 3-6. Hear now God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the love and thus far the reading of god's word and all god's people said amen in this epistle to the ephesians we have been considering god's plan to save his people something that he planned before the foundation of the world i have been saving verse 5 for today. Partly because I knew that we would be celebrating Nathan's adoption and baptism, and partly because I knew that today would be Pentecost, which celebrates the baptism of the church and the final implementation of God's international adoption plan. I am looking at a congregation full of adopted children. And just as the adoption of Nathan on Friday made me happy, so too it makes me happy to look out at a room full of adopted children of God. To know that in all these cases, the hopeless and the helpless have been rescued. So I want to talk a moment about the power of adoption in a general sense, and then we'll focus in on the text in a moment As I consider the families of this congregation, it is clear that many of you have had personal experience with the power of adoption. We have quite a few here who have either done the adopting or who have been adopted. Many others have witnessed the power of adoption in your extended families, and I hope that we will see more and more of those powerful acts of grace in our midst in the years ahead. In the early days of the Christian church, adoption was one of the most powerful means of changing the Roman culture. It was common for unwanted children to be abandoned on the street or in the sewers. Early Christian writers and apologists and theologians began to speak out against this immoral practice. I might add, speak out against enormous odds that anyone would listen. But not only did the early church teach on the subject, at least as important, if not more important, they acted on the subject. Practical theology, incarnational theology, is the best kind of theology. The kind that people can see. It's true that ideas have consequences, but it is also true that consequences have ideas. In other words, we can look and see what people are doing, and then we can ask, what are the ideas that led them to do that? Why are these people taking in these unwanted children, these discarded children? Why would they do that? That's a lot of trouble. And so in Rome, Christians began taking these babies and taking these children home to love them and to care for them. Of course, many of those individual lives were dramatically changed for the better, and as a result, this contributed significantly to the overall cultural change. Eventually, there would be laws passed to protect orphans and even encourage adoption. Later, hospitals that were specifically devoted to the care of poor children and abandoned children and orphans were created by Christians, and many orphanages have been established then throughout the world by Christian missionaries. Tyler, Sal, and Emily Lawless have recently had the opportunity to see this work firsthand in Haiti. Most adoption stories involve pain, apparent tragedy, the death of a parent, unwed mothers, substance abuse, poverty, prostitution. Something tragic creates a situation where suddenly an adoption is desperately needed. Just as sin and death, the death of our first parents created the need for all of us to be adopted by God. I don't want to oversimplify when we consider the power and the beauty of adoption. We are talking about real human beings and real complications, to put it mildly. It sometimes takes a while to get the big picture and to see all the benefits of adoption. And so I want to ask you to indulge me for a moment. On Friday, Nathan was adopted, and a few moments ago, he was baptized. It took over a year from the time he was born uh, for that to happen. But as I told Andrew and Rachel, now you just have to labor and sacrifice for 20 more years, at least. In fact, the whole community will be involved in that labor of love. And the story will not end there. What about Nathan's children and grandchildren? And many generations that will follow. You see, with adoption, the course of the river changes. Actually, Nathan's story began long before he was born. As I've mentioned before, and many of you know, both of my grandmothers were adopted, and while they didn't fully appreciate what that meant at the time, in fact, in some ways they were embarrassed or ashamed about it. That's unfortunate. But I can assure you that I and my children and grandchildren do feel the powerful positive effects of those adoptions. My mother and father are sitting here today benefiting from adoptions that occurred over 100 years ago. In fact, Dad, I realized this morning that your mother, my grandmother's 100th birthday is nine days from today. two newborn baby girls were left with Christian women to raise them in loving homes. These were far from perfect situations. But aren't you glad that God always works with imperfection? My mother's mother, Bessie Lee, was born in 1899 to a young, unwed mother who had secretly given birth to her at the Houston Infirmary. And my grandmother would be mortified that I was telling you this story right now, right? But I think she understands now. This frightened young woman with a newborn baby immediately returned to her hometown of Richmond, Texas, where she left her baby in a basket on the doorstep of a Christian widowed woman and her two teenage daughters. From a diary kept by that woman, Mrs. Connor, dated October twenty fifth, 1899, here's what the diary said, and I have the handwritten version of this. This day we received into our home a sweet little girl baby, to love and cherish as long as God permits, We make her a hearty welcome, and trust God will help us with the trust. With her, we received some several articles of clothing. She was comfortably set off. We received $2 in cash as baby's money, and three nursing bottles, and six cans of Eagle Brand milk. My father's mother, Mary, my father's grandmother, Mary Estelle Ansley, died giving birth to his mother. She is buried at Oak Grove Cemetery in Nacogdoches. Her husband was a traveling salesman and already had four children. He made the decision to allow his newborn daughter to be adopted by a family that had no children. The baby girl, my grandmother, was soon adopted by Viola and Timberlake Orton of McAdooches, Texas. You see, adoption stories are not just a series of photographic moments, though Rachel might contend with that. I would want to make clear, I do make clear, that we do not sit in judgment of any person. who has had to make the hard decision to give up a child for adoption. In fact, in many cases, it is an act of supreme love. There are plenty of hard times and hard stories, but allow me to just give you one example of how God can turn tragedies into comedies. And by that, of course, I mean happy endings. The long term reality is that the adoption of both of my grandmothers by Christian families was critical to my standing here today as your pastor. So, as a result, you are receiving the benefits of those adoptions, something my grandmothers never could have imagined. As I said, these adoptions were critical to the course change in my entire family for many, many generations, all for the better. These adoptions dramatically changed their lives, my parents' lives, my life, my children's lives, and my grandchildren's lives. The ripple effect of this will continue through eternity. God turned tragedy into a comedy. Adoption trumps biology. I face that when I'm doing family history, you trace. In this case, I happen to know the biological background of both my grandmothers as well as the adopted families. Which one's primary? Well, I know which one has the most influence, and it's the adoption. Adoption trumps biology. One of my cousins, um, Kate Bryant. Orozco was adopted, and she wrote this on January the 28th, 2015. We had met back up after many, many years. Marinelle and I got to see her last summer. She wrote this, As the only adopted child in a sea of aunts, uncles, and cousins on two sides, who all conceived their own children, I can tell you from this side of adoption, at some point, it will hit, hit that child just how much love and joy and choice, the choice of adoption was, not only for the parents, but all the relatives involved. And if they are anything like me, it will bring them to their knees. Take abortion out of the equation. Adoption is a sacred act, and I was one lucky little girl. And it is so much bigger than just two parents choosing a child. It is a child needing a family, and mine was, is such a blessing. By the way, all these family members who accepted me so graciously are the ones that taught me how to love, how to be a family. I thank them all. They are never far from my thoughts and always in my heart. Well, we could fill many hours with such testimonies of how adoption changes lives and changes the world for the better. But I want to pivot now and speak to you about what each of those individual adoptions represent. There is a much greater, a much grander adoption story found in the Bible, and it includes you. Verse 4 and 5, Ephesians 1, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. God had an adoption plan from the beginning, and He has been executing it ever since. God the Father is portrayed in Scripture as the specific agent of the transition and the adoption. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. The world was an orphanage. And Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 2. At the same time, you were without Christ, having no hope and without God in the world. When God called Abram from Ur of the Chaldees and adopted him as his son, he had something much, much bigger in view. Though Abraham and Sarah would only have one biological son, nevertheless, God promised to make Abraham a great nation and to bless all the nations of the world through his descendants. Ultimately, Christ would be the descendant of Abraham And in him, many would be adopted likewise to become children of Abraham. Paul writes in Galatians 3, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. God's family included his natural children, the Jews, but it also had in mind the adoption of the Gentiles. And here we sit as evidence that his adoption plan is still being executed. Pentecost marks the culmination of God's international plan of adoption. The goal was always to adopt children from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Acts 1 8, Jesus told his disciples, after the resurrection, behold, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that is unbelievers, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God adds to His family continually by way of adoption. This is what happens when someone chooses to bring a child home who was not born into their family. They make the decision to love that child unconditionally. In fact, the Bible states in Titus 3-7 that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As Judge Klein said on Friday... During the adoption of Nathan, it is as though he were born to you, and this relationship is forever. God loves us enough to make us his heirs, his children forever. Adoption provides an earthly picture. The kind of adoption we saw on Friday is an earthly picture of that kind of heavenly love. The biblical doctrine of adoption is the rescue of the hopeless and the helpless into the refuge of a Christian family and a godly inheritance. John Owen called adoption our fountain privilege. And J.I. Packer, in his book Knowing God, said our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. We all have an interest in this subject because we're all adopted. And if it weren't for adoption, we'd all still be helpless orphans. And so, let me just point out a few of the particulars then of adoption. Adopted children are entitled to the same benefits as natural children. Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. But because we're adopted by God the Father, we also receive all the same benefits. Galatians 4. 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones, writing about this particular passage in Ephesians, says this, There is nothing higher than this. Our adoption is the highest expression, even, of God's love. I speak carefully and with reverence when I assert that this statement and the parallel statements in the 8th chapter of Romans and the 4th chapter of the Epistle of the Galatians are the highest expression of the love of Almighty God. There is nothing higher than this, as is clear from the Apostle John's way of stating it. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. And so, four, I'm sure there's others, but four clear manifestations of the benefits of adoption. First, we bear the name of God. We are his children. We are members of his family. Paul reminds us in the next chapter, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but members of the household of God. You're a family member. In a minute, we're going to be coming to the family table to gather to eat together, to commune because of our adoption. We're brothers and sisters. You may no longer feel orphaned. Because you now belong. By your baptism, you bear the name of God. Second, we are given the spirit of the Son of God. Galatians 4, 6, and 7 I just read. And because you were sons, God sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see, we have a kindred spirit with the Father and the Son. Romans eight fourteen and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of bondage, uh, again to fear, but you received what? The spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, Abba, Father. Which remember in the Greek that's really daddy. It's a familiar term. To be orphaned is to feel fear and uncertainty about the future. It's a form of bondage. There's no security. But God our Father desires that we should be delivered from all doubt. There is no spirit of bondage, he says, but rather a spirit of adoption, which is positive. Adoption provides a self-conscious awareness of fact that we have been incorporated. We have been made a part of the family. We are not simply regarded as children. We are actually children. We are sons and daughters. Third, we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. You can't have a greater honor, nor can you have any more possessions than that. Adoption confers the legal right to the title and to the property. The legal aspect of adoption is important because it addresses our standing. It declares it declares to the world who we are. But this then enables us also to feel our position, to feel secure, to know that we are protected, and to anticipate our inheritance. If adoption stops with a legal act, then it has stopped prematurely. Friday, when Nathan was adopted, the court, there was a definitive moment, like in a marriage ceremony, when the minister says, I pronounce you husband and wife, in an adoption ceremony decree there is a moment in which that child goes from one's position to a new position to a son. but if it stopped there, then it would have stopped short. Actually, that was the beginning. The mystery is that with the legal act, the entering into the covenant comes new, becomes a new and living relationship. Romans 8:16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are sons of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And fourth, our adoption promises a future and final redemption. This is not the end. As I said, it's the beginning. Because I'm a son of God, I will live as long as God does. This is all secure because I am his child and he is my father. I close with these two passages. John 10:28 and 29, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. In Romans eight thirty-seven 37-39, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Remember, adoption is that greatest expression of His love. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your eternal plan to adopt us. Indeed, your plan included orphans from around the world. We are grateful to celebrate the eternal harvest of Pentecost, and we are forever thankful for all the benefits of adoption making us Your children, giving us Your name, and blessing us with all the privileges of the children of God. You have enabled us to boldly come to Your throne of grace and to receive help in the time of need. Moreover, You have granted us the incorruptible inheritance of eternal life through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, adoption is powerful. It requires great sacrifice because it requires great love. And greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. This is the spirit of adoption. Adoption changes who we are because it formally establishes our relationship with God and with other people. It is a defining moment. With a new name comes a new world. It changes who we are. It changes what we are. Moreover, much of our identity is wrapped up in our corporate or covenant relationships, who you are in relation to others. I am so-and-so's father or mother or child or brother or sister or aunt or uncle. Our corporate identity is found in our covenant relationships. What church are you a member of? This is an objective reality. This is who you are, like it or not. Being a member of your household means that you, as an individual, bear certain distinguishing marks. Looks, behavior, you perhaps have said, heard things like he gets that from his father or she's just like her mother. Rules, goals, expectations. Bearing a name also means bearing responsibilities and duties that go with that name. If you're doing your job as a father, then you are indoctrinating your children to distinguish them and to define who they are. The chapter on adoption in the Westminster Confession of Faith summarizes the theological doctrine in this way. And as we prepare to come to the table, uh, listen to these words. All those that are justified, God vouchsafeth, that is, grants as a favor, in and for His only Son Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number, and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have His name put upon them, receive the Spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and enabled to cry, "Abba, Father," are pitied protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. God, our Father, let the Spirit you sent on your church on the day of Pentecost to begin the teaching of the Gospel, continue to work in the world through your covenant people. Father of light, from whom every good gift comes, send your Spirit into our lives to loosen our tongues, to speak and sing your praises, for without your Spirit, man could never raise his voice in words of peace or announce the truth that Jesus is Lord. Breathe into us, Holy Spirit, that our thoughts may all be holy. Move in us, Holy Spirit, that our work might also be holy. Attract our hearts that we may love only what is holy. And strengthen us that we may defend all that is holy. Protect us that we may always be holy. Holy Spirit, powerful Counselor, sacred bond of the Father and the Son, hope of the afflicted, descend into our hearts and establish in us your loving dominion. Kindle in our tepid souls the fire of your love, so that we may be entirely subject to you. Come to us, Counselor of abandoned souls, protector of the needy, help of the afflicted, strengthen the weak and support the wavering. Come and purify us and let no evil desire take possession of us. You love the humble and resist the proud. Come to us, glory of the living, hope of the dying. Lead us by your grace, that we may always be pleasing to you. Come to us and send us into the world, that we may proclaim your good news. That he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined by their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far off from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Father, bless now this feast that we are about to have. May we delight in you and in one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. Amen.